Today we are back in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 4, a section of four parables that Jesus covers. And let me pray for us again. Lord, as we open your word, we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate it for us so we, we understand not only what it says, but we understand what you want us to do with your word. Lord, be active and involved in the teaching and the receiving and the living out of your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So last two weeks, we were in the parable of the four soils. It's 20 verses. And Jesus first tells the parable, and then he explains the parable. And in between the telling and the explaining, the disciples say, hey, why do you speak in parables? And he gives an interesting answer. His answer is basically to reveal and to conceal. I speak in parables to reveal and to conceal. And he said to them, to you, and by you he means those with ears to hear, those who have a hunger for the word of God, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Parables are a great way to encapsulate spiritual truth in a pithy little story. Okay, And to you who are hungry, that's why I speak in parables. But there's another reason I speak in parables. But to those on the outside, everything is in parables. Those who aren't hungry. Those who... <laughs> Should I say it? Those who are more concerned about the Super Bowl today and whether Taylor's going to make it. Is she? Okay. All right. Those who are more concerned about the things of the world than the things of God. That's why I speak in parables. And then he quotes from Isaiah. So that they may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. You got to work. You got to think. You got to. Uh, you got to put some meditation into Jesus' teaching to get it. Okay, so he teaches in parables because those who have a heart for for his teaching will think about it. You know, even Psalm one says the blessed man is the one who meditates on the word day and night. And then you have one of those moments, oh, I get what he's saying. But others say, I don't have time for this. Can check my phone, you know. Um, so to, to, to prepare you for four parables, I brought three riddles, okay? So we'll, we'll have some fun with this. So here's the first riddle. David's father has three sons, Snap, Crackle, and who? <laughs> David. You see, if David's father has three sons and two of them are snap and crackle, the other one's got to be David. Sorry, guys, I fooled you. See, now you don't trust me. Now you're like, all right, we're going to. All right, second one. Yeah, now you got to think, right? All right, a cowboy rode into town on Friday. He stayed for three nights and only three nights. And rode out on Friday. How is... The, and if you've heard this, don't say... 
How's this possible? Well, his horse was named Friday. <laughs> he rode in and he rode out on Friday. Okay. All right. Now, this is, a, this is a tough one. A tree doubles in height each year until it reaches 100 feet high over the course of 10 years. How many years did it take for the tree to reach 50 feet? Some of you are like, I didn't come to church to do math. Five is what you'd think. What did you say? Nine. So if it, if it doubles every year, and the tenth year it's 100 feet, then the ninth year it would have been 50 feet. Huh? Huh? You're married to a magician, aren't you? Okay. <laughs> or you're smart, yeah. <laughs> All right, so now that, you're, now that you're in a, hmm, I'm going to think deeply mode, Let's take a look at these four parables. And the difference between these four and the parable of the four soils is he doesn't really explain these parables. So we have to do some thinking on our own. So the first little parable is the parable of the unveiled lamp. And he said to them, a lamp, uh, it is a lamp, it's a question, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now, the answer is no. The, the very purpose of a lamp, and by the way, back then a lamp was a candle or it was a little saucer with a wick in it, and uh, the very purpose of a lamp is to let it shine. So if it's hidden, that's violating its purpose. It, it's eventually meant to be set on a stand to shine. That's the parable. And he goes on, he says, for nothing is hidden, nothing like a lamp that's meant to shine, nothing that's meant to broadcast, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. In other words, if there's, if there's something hidden now, like a lamp, it's going to be broadcasting. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You go, now what in the world is that talking about? Well, throughout the Gospel of Mark... There are times Jesus will teach and times he will do miracles and then he'll say, shh, don't, don't tell anyone. Like uh, in Mark 1, he heals a leper and he says, see that you say nothing to anyone. And then demon-possessed people fall at his feet and he casts the demons out and he, he, says, uh, he says strictly, uh, and he, he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Don't, shh. Right? Then in Mark 5, we're going to read about him raising a girl from the dead. Now, if, if your daughter was raised from the dead, could you not say anything? And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. Why does Jesus go around saying, shh, don't tell anybody? In fact, um, scholars call this the Markin, uh, the Markin secret 
why, especially in Mark's gospel, is there so much don't tell anyone? Well, the, the answer is that at this time in the life and ministry of Jesus, most people, including his own apostles, didn't really understand what kind of a Messiah he was. They thought he would be a conquering king, but he came to be a crucified lamb. Okay? He, he came not to conquer Rome, but to be conquered by Rome on a cross. In fact, if he let the crowd get carried away, they would have forced him to be king. Here in John 6.15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He goes, I'm, I'm not here to be the president. I'm not here to be the king. So he has to hide even himself. He, he had to do ministry publicly yet in a veiled way, kind of like a lamp that's meant to shine, but then it's hidden under a bed. But after his death and resurrection, then everything makes sense. All the pieces of the puzzle from Old Testament prophecies to his own teaching to his own apostles being confused, it all makes sense after the death and resurrection. And then what does he do? He gives the great commission to us, which is, oh, why do I have pen up there? Okay. Okay. <laughs> the great commission, which is go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. We are, we are not to be in that moment in, in salvation history where we kind of have to be secretive. Jesus had to because of the confusion that existed. But now we're on the other side where we are to tell everyone the gospel. So the application here is very simple. Who's the last person you told the gospel to? Right? Tell everybody the gospel. But I, I don't want to offend anybody. In fact, one half of millennial-aged Christians, born-again Christians, believe it's wrong to try to convince somebody else to change to believe in Jesus. You go, what? Yeah, the value system is everybody's truth is their own truth. That is a higher value than even the Great Commission in many people's minds. Okay? So, um, I've quoted this, this guy before. This is the magician, Penn Gillette. He and Teller are, uh, are atheists. Pretty vocal about it, too. And once he was asked, so do you find Christians who proselytize, who try to convince you that Christianity is true, do you find them offensive? And this is, this is now like quoted in every church. This, this should be read once a year. Kind of like that C.S. Lewis quote, liar, lunatic, Lord, this should be quoted. Okay. I've always said that I don't respect people who don't 
proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? So the question is, what do you value more, their eternal destiny or your comfort? Right? Now, I'm not saying be obnoxious. Be the first Christian who's not obnoxious. But let the light shine. That's what the point of this simple little parable is. It's time to take the light from under the, the bed or under the, the basket and put it on the stand and let it shine. That's the point. All right, let's move on to the second one. The expanding measure. Okay. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. Now, this one is directed more toward um, believers. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken. Because this little parable is in the context of pay attention to what you hear, what is the measure? Well, the, the measure is the desire, the hunger we bring when it comes to hearing the word of God preached or taught. And the bigger the measure, the more you get, and it expands. And you understand more and more and more over time. So, so the question here is how is your appetite for the word of God. Right? Peter talks about our appetite for the word should be like a hungry baby. <laughs> That's our granddaughter, Carter. <laughs> and she has taken on grandpa's appetite. So, <laughs> Peter... Peter says this. Now, now, sometimes the word milk in Scripture is used to describe basic, simple teaching. But here it's just, just referring to the Word of God in general. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Okay. Now, you already have salvation, now grow in it. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I think those are prunes. <laughs> so it's messy on both ends in this case, right? <laughs> but what it's saying is, have you tasted that the Lord is good? And you taste his goodness in the word of God. And that should produce in you more hunger and more desire to understand it and to read it and to flourish in the word of God. 
if you go, ah, I'm not interested, then there's one of two problems. Either you're dead, right, or you're sick. Spiritually dead or spiritually sick. So I Googled loss of appetite, something I struggle with all the time. Right? <laughs> um, and they said, you know what? They're, they're, some people do lose their appetite. And they, they give you four pieces of advice to get your appetite back, or at least to eat so you don't starve. So here's the, the physical guideline. Eat less junk food, eat with others, eat what you enjoy, eat the way you enjoy it, okay? So eat less junk food. What a day to be talking about eating less junk food. Super Bowl Sunday, right? Um, but spiritually speaking, there are those who go, oh, I just don't have time to read the Bible. But they have hours of time to be on Facebook or to read the latest thing or to watch TV, okay? Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go wacko on you here. But can I give you, so, so you know, we're, we're not a Catholic or a Lutheran church, but Catholics, Lutherans, some other mainline churches do Lent. Lent is a time to prepare for Easter, right? So it's, uh, I think it's six weeks. I think it starts this Wednesday, isn't it? Is it this Wednesday? Ash Wednesday. Um, so as a Protestant, there was a Protestant who rebelled against Lent, and he started eating sausages, so he called it Sausage Wednesday. And I kind of like to, to carry on that tradition and have Sausage Wednesday. But for Lent, some people, um, in, a, in a wrong way, try to earn points before God. But if you use it in a good way, you can say, hey, here's a time I'm going to work on my discipline before the Lord. So here's a suggestion. What if, during Lent, you said, I'm going to take two nights, one night I'm not going to watch any TV, and the second night you said, I'm going to just watch an hour. You got to get your Fox News in, right? You got to... Or whatever, whatever your, whatever your, uh, whatever you, you need for an hour, and then you spent more time in the Word for the next six weeks. How about that? Okay, so less junk food. Okay, another thing they recommend: eat with others. Maybe your main interest is not the food, but you love the people. Okay, so. In my typical week, I have five Bible studies. So I've, I've got this, so I'm going through Mark. Then I have youth group afterwards. And you know what we're going through? Mark. <laughs> but we're way ahead. We're way ahead, yeah. Um, then on Wednesday night, I have a Bible study. We're, we're going through 1 Peter. On Thursday... We go, when I, when I make it, we go to Heritage Woods and we're going through the book of Revelation, right? And then I teach a class online and we're going through a book, all right? 
So I got five Bible studies going on. Now, would I study those books that hard if I weren't with other people? Probably not. But the fact that I am committed to these groups keeps me in the Word. I love it. So here's a question. Do you find it hard to do it on your own? Why not join a group that keeps you on track? Okay. So number two would be eat with others. Then last two, eat what you enjoy and the way you enjoy it. So um, there are different types of writing in the Bible. Now, I admit, I am just not a good poetry guy. So um, I find the, like the prophets and the Psalms the hardest for me to really absorb. Though I did buy a book on the Psalms yesterday. Got it on Amazon for a dollar. Right? Um, you know what I love? I love historical narrative. I love reading about Jesus or King David. Or, you know, so if I'm dry, if I'm like not having that appetite, attitude, appetite, um, I should just say, I'm going to eat what I, I, I digest best. Let's read a gospel. Okay? Then the last one is, um, eat the way you enjoy it. There's a lot of ways to take in the word of God. I am an audio learner. I can go all day long listening to podcasts. Others can't. Some are visual learners. Well, there's plenty of stuff on YouTube. Plenty of bad stuff, but plenty of good teaching on YouTube. Um, others, you know, there's different versions, different translations of the Bible. Some of them on your phone can actually read it to you. So how do you like your food delivered, you know, do you like the, the what is it, the Dine and Dash guy? No, who's the, how do they deliver? DoorDash, DoorDash, yeah. Dine, Dine and Dash is the guy who goes to your house, eats, and then leaves and doesn't clean up, right? Okay. All right, so um, bottom line, the measure you bring is the measure he'll fill up. And you'll grow more and more and more. All right, next parable. The automatic seed. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. You know, we still don't even understand the mystery of how a seed dies and produces not only life, but fruit. And more seeds that produce life. I, I mean, scientifically, we can say, well, this happens here. But, but the, the magic of a seed dying and producing life, that's in God's hands. He doesn't know how it works, but it does work. The earth produces by itself, and it's interesting, the Greek word, automate, from which we get automatic. All right? The seed automatically sprouts and grows. The earth produces by itself first 
the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What is the point of this parable? The way the kingdom of God grows is by us doing one main thing, scattering seed, teaching the word of God, and then trusting God to bring the growth. Now, there's a million other things a farmer does, paints the barn and feeds the horses and, you know, whatever farmers do. But the one main thing that he can't neglect is scatter seed. Now, when it comes to the expanding of the kingdom, you know, we are legalists by nature. Meaning we have a built-in propensity to want to help God do his thing. Okay? We want to feel like we are doing it. That we are in control. Okay? Kind of like Abraham and Sarah. Their job was to believe God's promise. That they're going to have a baby. And then they thought... God needs some help here. And actually, Sarah comes up with the idea. This obviously isn't going to work. Why don't you, Abraham, take Hagar, the maid, and make a baby? And Abraham's like, eh, that's a good idea. And the mess that they created uh, was a result of them trying to help God out. Okay? And... You go, what's the purpose of church? Now, there are many purposes, but the primary thing we're called to do is teach the Word of God. Proclaim the Word of God. Right? Now, I remember when we were first starting, and, um, you know, you're... You're dealt a hand, and you go, okay, let's, let's, you're in charge of this, you're in charge of this, you're in charge of this. So one person came to me after we were up and going, and they said, well, when are we going to do something? And what they meant, they had come from a megachurch. And, and basically, their thinking was, what are we going to do spectacular? We've got to build this thing on something unique and different, and... This parable is saying, you preach the word, God brings the growth. Yeah, we need a nursery schedule and we need a cleaning schedule and it's probably smart to have a website and you know, all those things. But the, the main thing is the gospel is preached, people are transformed. And then their growth reaches other people, and that produces growth, okay? Let's be careful about helping God out too much with spectacular ideas. Now, we are having Taylor Swift come in next week to lead. (laughs) Mentioned her twice today, dear. Okay. Luther, 
was asked, how did you, one man, correct all the craziness that was going on in the church? What's your secret? Here's what Luther said. I simply taught, preached, wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word of God did everything. That's the parable of the automatic seed. Do you have it as a framework in your mind? Okay. Last thing. The mustard seed. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, you know, critics of the Bible say, well, this is factually not true. The smallest seed on the earth is not the mustard seed. It's actually the, and I don't know, I guess there's some smaller seed. And it's actually not the largest tree. There are trees that are bigger, so Jesus was factually wrong and blah, 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 blah. And people have spent books trying to defend this. I just like how Piper does it. He goes, have you never heard of hyperbole? Right? It, 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 again, it's like uh, if you watch the NFL... Every week, some announcer says, that was the greatest catch I've ever seen. Kind of like you said last week and the week before. And, you know, so Jesus is not making an agricultural statement here. He, he's making a statement about something very tiny. At this point, it's him and 12 guys. Right? And... It's going to grow. Now, here we are 2,000 years later, and we look back and we go, oh, yeah, this is obvious. But imagine being those 12 guys thinking, you know, we're having a tough time as it is. Is this thing really going to work? And Jesus says, oh, yeah. Just like that little mustard seed, the kingdom of God will go global, right? Um, there are about 8 billion people on the planet. And one-third of them would at least call themselves Christians. So that would be a 223 million percent growth from 12 <laughs> to, to close to 3 billion people. And I don't know that Jesus, when he talks about the kingdom of God, 
is even restricting it to the number of Christians. He may be also talking about the influence that Jesus and the church has had upon the world. There's a book called Dominion. It's a big, thick book. And um, it's actually written by a non-Christian. And basically the point is, it's a history lesson of how Christianity has influenced the world we live in and what the world would be like if we didn't have Christianity. So let me, let me just give you a couple of examples here. Um, so Christianity teaches that human beings are made in the image of God. Therefore, they're valuable. Therefore, they should be treasured and not disposed of. Right? And that comes from Genesis 1, 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So right there is the basis for men and women having equal value before God. There is the basis for, uh, you know, pagans thought the weak and the disabled should be disposed of. Christianity says everybody has value. They should be cared for. I think that's also the basis for valuing life in the womb, right? Um, Here's another one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this this is going to seem really simple, but without this idea that God created stuff and stuff is real, we wouldn't have science. You go, well, doesn't everybody believe stuff is real? No. The Eastern world believes this is an illusion. You really are in the matrix, is what they believe. But this teaches that there's a God, and he spoke and created real things, and he became man and lived amongst us so we can study the creation and find out truth. That's built on a Christian foundation. Okay? What, one last thing is separation of institutions, or you might know it as separation of church and state. Okay? And while we could spend hours on that phrase, the idea is that the state is a legitimate institution ordained by God, and the church is a legitimate institution ordained by God, and they have separate functions. Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. It's legit to pay your taxes, and to God the things that are God's. Jesus is is making a distinction between church and state. Now, it took you know, a couple thousand years 
to figure out that the king shouldn't say, you're all Catholic, or you're all Protestant, or you're all Muslim, or, you know, there, there is a separation of, of realms, but once again, that concept has a foundation that Christianity brought to the surface, okay? So, the point is, 2,000 years ago, when it was just a little seed, Jesus said that seed is going to cover the whole world. He was right. So, the lamp, spread the gospel. The measure, be hungry like a newborn baby. The automatic seed, we should be about the business of spreading the word. The mustard seed, the kingdom of God, will grow to world war, worldwide proportions. We should keep it up. All right, let me pray. Lord, thank you that you have chosen parables to teach truth about you, about us, about the kingdom. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that hunger for your word, to not be distracted, but to think about it and meditate on it. Lord, I pray that you would use our various Bible studies and this pulpit and the online studies to create an even deeper hunger so we learn more and more and more about you, about us, about the kingdom. And may you be glorified. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.